Lesson 5 for April 25 to May 1 by Scripture Alone, Sola Scriptura, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, April 25. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for what happened during the Reformation where it became clear that your word should be the sole source of inspiration and guidance for our salvation and our proclamation of who you are. We pray that as we study your word this week that we may not just see that it's so clear but that we may see you there as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let's read that again, Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Protestant claim of Scripture alone, in Latin sola scriptura, elevated Scripture to the sole standard and decisive source for theology. In contrast to Roman Catholic theology, which emphasised scripture and tradition, the Protestant faith emphasised the key word alone, that is, scripture alone is the final authority when matters of faith and doctrine are at issue. It was the Bible that gave the decisive force and authority to the Protestant Reformation and its revolt against Rome and the errors it had been teaching for centuries. Over against an allegorical interpretation of Scripture, where many different meanings were read into the biblical text, the Protestant Reformers emphasised the importance of a grammatical historical interpretation of the Bible which took seriously the grammar and literal meaning of the biblical text. This week, we will look at Sola Scriptura in greater detail. We will learn that sola scriptura implies some fundamental principles of biblical interpretation that are indispensable for a proper understanding of God's word. As Protestants, we must maintain the Bible as the ultimate doctrinal authority. Sunday, April 26. Scripture as the Ruling Norm From their beginning, Seventh-day Adventists have considered themselves to be people of the book, that is, Bible-believing Christians. To affirm the biblical principle of sola scriptura, by scripture alone, we acknowledge the unique authority of the Bible. Scripture alone is the ruling norm for our theology and ultimate authority for life and doctrine. Other sources, such as religious experience, human reason or tradition, are subservient to the Bible. 
In fact, the sola scriptura principle was intended to safeguard the authority of scripture from dependence upon the church and its interpretation, and it ruled out the possibility that the standard of its interpretation should come from outside the Bible. Question. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, especially verse 6, in which Paul says we should not go beyond what is written. Why is this point so crucial for our faith? 1 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up of one against the other. Not to go beyond what is written does not exclude insights from other fields of study, such as biblical archaeology or history. Other fields may shed light on some biblical aspects and the background of scriptural passages, and thus may help us to understand the biblical text better. Nor does it exclude the help of other resources in the task of interpretations, such as lexicons, dictionaries, concordances, and other books and commentaries. However, in the proper interpretation of the Bible, the text of Scripture has priority over all other aspects, sciences and secondary helps. Other viewpoints have to be evaluated carefully from the standpoint of Scripture as a whole. What we positively affirm when we practice the sola scriptura principle is that if a conflict arises in the interpretation of our faith, then scripture alone carries the authority that transcends and judges any other source or church tradition. We should not go beyond or against what is written in the Bible. True Christianity and convincing gospel preaching depend on a firm commitment to the authority of Scripture. As Martin Luther wrote in his works, volume 32, Career of the Reformer II, um, published by Hilton C. Oswald and Helmut T. Lehman in Philadelphia Press, Philadelphia Fortress Press in 1999, pages 11 and 12, Scripture alone is the true Lord and Master of all writings and doctrine on earth. So to finish today, read Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 11. How did these verses inform what we're talking about here regarding the primacy of Scripture? Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. 
These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily, to find out whether these things were so. Monday, April 27. The Unity of Scripture. The Bible itself claims that all Scripture is God-breathed in 2 Timothy 3.16, and that no prophecy or Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, and that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's quoting from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. With God as the Bible's ultimate author, we can assume a fundamental unity and harmony among the various parts of Scripture in regard to the key issues it teaches. Question, read Titus chapter 1 verse 9 and 2 Timothy 1 verse 13. Why is the unity of the Bible important for our belief? Titus 1 verse 9 holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Only on the basis of its internal unity, a unity that is derived from its divine inspiration, can Scripture function as its own interpreter. If Scripture did not have an overarching unity in its teachings, we could not come up with a harmony in doctrine on any given issue. Without the unity of the Bible, the Church would have no means to distinguish truth from error and to repudiate heresy. It would have no basis to apply disciplinary measures or to correct deviations from God's truth. Scripture would lose its convincing and liberating power. Jesus and the Bible writers, however, assume the unity of Scripture, which is based on its divine origin. We can see this in their common practice of quoting several Old Testament books as of equal and harmonious weight, as we read in Romans three ten to 18 as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practised deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known." Here, Paul makes use of scriptural citations from Ecclesiastes 7.20, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not 
sin. In Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if they are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. And Psalm 5, verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward part is destruction, their throat is an open tomb, they flatter with their tongue. And Psalm 10, verse 7, His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. And Isaiah chapter 59, verses 7 and 8. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace." The Bible writers considered Scripture to be an inseparable, coherent whole in which major themes are further developed. There is no discord between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament does not contain a new gospel or a new religion. The Old Testament is unfolded in the New Testament, and the New Testament builds upon the Old Testament. As such, the two Testaments have a reciprocal relationship in which they shed light upon each other. The unity of Scripture also implies that all of Scripture, tota scriptura, should be taken into consideration when we study a biblical subject, rather than building our teaching only on isolated statements. So, to finish the day, what should we do when we come across texts or ideas that appear contradictory to each other in the Bible? How do we work to resolve them? Tuesday, April 28. The Clarity of Scripture Any appeal to Scripture alone makes little sense if the text of the Bible is unclear in its meaning. Question. Read Matthew 21.42, Mark 12.10 and 26, Luke 6.3, Matthew 24.15 and Mark 13.14. What does Jesus' repeated referral to Scripture imply in regard to the clarity of its message? Matthew 21, verse 24, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. And Matthew 12, verses 3 and 5, But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath... The priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. And Matthew 19, verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? 
and Matthew 22, verse 31. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And Mark 12, verse 10. Have you not read this scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? And verse 26, But concerning the dead, they that rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? And Luke chapter 6, verse 3. But Jesus, answering them, said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? Matthew 24, verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And Mark 13, verse 14, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where he ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The biblical testimony is unambiguous. The Bible is sufficiently clear in what it teaches. The Bible is so clear that it can be understood by children and by adults alike, especially in its most basic teachings. And yet there are endless opportunities for our knowledge and understanding to grow deeper. We do not need any ecclesiastical magisterium to provide the Bible's meaning for us. Instead, its basic teachings can be understood by all believers. It assumes the priesthood of all believers rather than restricting its interpretation to a select few, such as the clerical priesthood. Therefore, we are encouraged in the Bible to study Scripture for ourselves because we are able to understand God's message to us. It has been aptly pointed out by the Handbook of the Seventh-day Adventist Theology, uh, published by the Review and Herald Publishing Association in 2000, that the consistent example of the Bible writers shows that the Scriptures are to be taken in their plain, literal sense, unless a clear and obvious figure is intended. There is no stripping away of the husk of the literal sense in order to arrive at the kernel of a mystical, hidden, allegorical meaning that only the initiated can uncover. End of quote. Rather, the clarity of the Bible pertains to the language, sense, and words of Scripture because there is a definite truth intended by the biblical writers rather than subjective, uncontrolled, multiple meanings of the Bible text. None of this means that we won't at times come across texts and ideas that we don't fully understand or grasp. After all, this is the Word of God, and we are but fallen human beings. Nevertheless, God's Word is sufficiently clear on the things that we really need to know and understand, especially in relation to the question of salvation. So, to finish today, think about a time when you didn't understand some texts, only to have them clarified later. What did you learn from that experience that perhaps could help others struggling with something similar?
Wednesday, April 29. Scripture interprets Scripture. Only because there is an underlying unity of Scripture can the Bible function as its own interpreter. Without such unity, Scripture could not be the light that reveals its own meaning, where one portion of Scripture interprets other portions and thus becomes the key to understanding related passages. Question. Read Luke chapter 24, verses 27, 44 and 45. How does Jesus refer back to Scripture to explain who he is? What does this teach us about how we can use Scripture? First of all, Luke 24 and verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then at verse 44 and verse 45, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. The beauty of letting Scripture interpret Scripture is that it sheds further light on its own meaning. In doing so, we do not indiscriminately string together various passages to prove our opinion. Instead, we carefully take into consideration the context of each passage. Besides the immediate context before and after a passage under investigation, we should take into consideration the context of the book in which the passage is found. Furthermore, since, according to Paul in Scripture, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, Romans 15 verse 4, we should study all that Scripture says on a given subject. And Ellen White writes in Education, page 190, the Bible is its own expositor. Scripture is to be compared with Scripture. The student should learn to view the Word as a whole and to see the relation of its parts. He should gain a knowledge of its grand central theme, of God's original purpose for the world, of the rise of the great controversy, and of the work of redemption. End of quote. When we compare Scripture with Scripture, it is important to study the Bible thoroughly. If possible, we should do so in its original languages, or at least with an appropriate Bible translation faithful to the meaning contained in the original Hebrew and Greek. Though knowledge of the original languages is not necessary to have a good understanding of the Bible, it certainly helps when possible. If not, Faithful and prayerful study of the Word with an attitude of humility and submission will still surely bear great fruit. And so to finish the day, think of a doctrine, such as the state of the dead, for which focusing on a few select verses could lead to error if other passages are ignored. What does this tell us about how important it is to gather and read all that the Bible says about a topic in order to understand best what the Bible teaches? Thursday, April 30, Sola Scriptura and Ellen G. White.
Question. Read Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20. Why is it always important to refer back to the biblical law and testimony as the norms for our teaching and doctrine? What does this mean for the ministry of prophets who have not become part of the biblical canon? Isaiah 8 verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. When we talk about sola scriptura, scripture alone, Seventh-day Adventists are inevitably confronted with the question of what to do with Ellen G. White, who also was inspired by God and served as God's messenger to his remnant people. What is the relationship of her writings to scripture? Even a cursory reading of Ellen G. White's writings shows clearly that for her, the Bible was foundational and central in all her thought and theology. In fact, she repeatedly affirmed that the Bible is the highest authority and greatest norm and standard for all doctrines, faith and practice, as we see in Great Controversy, page 595. But God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. The opinions of learned men, the deductions of science, the creeds or decisions of ecclesiastical councils, as numerous and discordant as are the churches which they represent, the voice of the majority, not one nor all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith. Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, thus saith the Lord, in its support. Moreover, she clearly supported and upheld the great Protestant principle of sola scriptura, and we read about this in The Great Controversy. Now it says page 9, but page 9 does not talk about that. It's actually page 6 and 7, I think. So why don't I read that for you? Great Controversy, page... Well, we can actually start on page 5. The Bible points to God as its author. This is written by Ellen White. Yet it was written by human hands, and in the varied style of its different books, it presents the characteristics of the several writers. The truths revealed are all given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, yet they are expressed in the words of men. The Infinite One, by His Holy Spirit, has shed light into the minds and hearts of His servants. He has given dreams and visions, symbols and figures, and those to whom the truth has been revealed have themselves embodied the thought in human language. The Ten Commandments were spoken by God himself and were written by his own hand. They are of divine and not of human composition. But the Bible, with its God-given truths expressed in the language of men, presents a union of the divine and the human. Such a union existed in the nature of Christ, who was the Son of God and the Son of Man. Thus it is true of the Bible as it was of Christ, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14 
written in different ages by men who differed widely in rank and occupation and in mental and spiritual endowments, the books of the Bible present a wide contrast in style as well as a diversity in the nature of the subjects unfolded. Different forms of expression are expressed by different writers. Often the same truth is more strikingly presented by one than the other. And as several writers present a subject under varied aspects and relations, there may appear to the superficial, careless or prejudiced reader to be discrepancy or contradiction, where the thoughtful, reverent student will, with clearer insight, discerns the underlying harmony. As presented through different individuals, the truth is brought out in its varied aspects. One writer is more strongly impressed with one phase of the subject. He grasps those points that harmonise with his experience or with his power of perception and appreciation. Another seizes upon a different phrase. And each, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, presents what is most forcibly impressed upon his own mind. A different aspect of the truth in each, but a perfect harmony through all. And the truths thus revealed unite to form a perfect whole, adapted to meet the wants of men in all the circumstances and experiences of life. God has been pleased to communicate his truth to the world by human agencies, and he himself, by his Holy Spirit, qualified men and enabled them to do his work. He guided the mind in the selection of what to speak and what to write. The treasure was entrusted to earthen vessels, yet it is nonetheless from heaven. The testimony is conveyed through the imperfect expression of human language, yet it is the testimony of God, and the obedient believing child of God beholds it in the glory of the divine power full of grace and truth. In his word, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of His will. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, and the test of experience. Every Scripture inspired of God is also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction which is in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, furnished completely unto every good work. Second Timothy 3.16 and 17 from the Revised Version. Yet, in fact, that God has revealed his will to men through his word has not rendered needless the continued presence and guidance of the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, the Spirit was promised by our Saviour to open the word to his servants, to illuminate and apply its teachings, and since it was the Spirit of God who inspired the Bible, it is impossible that the teaching of the Spirit should ever be contrary to that of the word. And that's Great Controversy, page 5 through to 7. In Ellen White's own view, her writings, when compared with Scripture, were a lesser light to lead men and women to the greater light, the Bible, as she wrote in the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald, January 20, 1903. 
Her writings are never a shortcut to or replacement for any serious Bible study. In fact, she comments in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, page 605, You are not familiar with the Scriptures. If you had made God's Word your study with a desire to reach the Bible standard and attain to Christian perfection, you would not have needed the Testimonies. It is because you have neglected to acquaint yourself with God's inspired book that he has sought to reach you by simple, direct testimonies. End of quote. As such, her writings are to be appreciated. They share the same kind of inspiration as the biblical writers had, but they have a different function than does the Bible. Her writings are not an addition to Scripture, but are subject to Holy Scripture. She never intended her writings to take the place of Scripture. Instead, she elevated the Bible as the only standard for faith and practice. So, to finish today, think about what an incredible gift we have been given through the ministry of Ellen G. White. How can we learn to appreciate better the amazing light coming from her while also upholding the supremacy of Scripture? Friday, May 1. From the book Education, written by Ellen White, page 189, we read, The student of the Bible should be taught to approach it in the spirit of a learner. We are to search its pages, not for proof to sustain our opinions, but in order to know what God says. A true knowledge of the Bible can be gained only through the aid of that spirit by whom the word was given. And in order to gain this knowledge, we must live by it. All that God's word commands, we are to obey. The study of the Bible demands our most diligent effort and persevering thought. As the miner digs for the golden treasure in the earth, so earnestly, persistently, must we seek for the treasure of God's word. End of quote. And from the book Selected Messages, book 3, page 33, from the same author, When you make the Bible your food, your meat and your drink, when you make its principles the elements of your character, you will know better how to receive counsel from God. I exalt the precious word before you today. Do not repeat what I have said, saying, Sister White says this, and Sister White says that. Find out what the Lord God of Israel says, and then do what he commands. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, what erroneous beliefs do people hold because they have looked at only a few selected texts rather than at all that the Bible says about a topic? Two, in Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus said of John the Baptist, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus points to a prophet here who had no writings in the Bible and yet said such things about him. What should this tell us about why a true prophet does not have to have a book in the Bible and can still be a true prophet? 
What message can we as Seventh-day Adventists take away from this fact? 3. As Adventists, we're not alone in claiming the Bible as our final authority. Other churches do so as well. How then do we explain the contradictory doctrines that other Christians claim to find in the Bible as well? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Road to Jesus and it's by Antonis Matsukaros. I grew up in Cyprus, a Christian country, but my family was only nominally Christian. When I was 12, I became sick and no doctor could make me well, so I began to seek God. I visited various churches in the hope of finding healing. I bowed before images and lit candles, thinking my actions would convince God to help me. But it didn't work. Many years later, when I was 30, I found a leaflet under my door advertising a series of lectures on archaeological and spiritual matters in a public hall. The topic for each night was listed. Although I didn't know it at the time, the meetings were organised by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was not interested, but one topic, about midway through the list of topics, caught my attention. The Antichrist and the number 666. I decided to attend that one lecture. The lively presentation intrigued me, and I ended up attending the remaining meetings. At the conclusion, the organisers invited attendees to worship at a Seventh-day Adventist church. I began attending regularly and eventually became convicted about the Adventist message. But I hesitated about baptism. Nicosia is a fairly small city, and the society is fairly close-knit so I wondered how my friends and family would react if they discovered that I had abandoned my childhood church to become a Seventh-day Adventist. For ten years I pondered whether it was important to be baptised. Would it make me a better person? Was I ready to follow this church and its lifestyle? The pastor was very patient. Over time we became good friends. After some gentle encouragement, I was baptised. I have never regretted that decision. Several years have passed since that beautiful day. Today I am 55 and active in our small church family. I teach the Sabbath school and have worked with a new pastor to build a website to reach the people of Cyprus. Jesus is coming soon and when he does, I will finally be healed of my lingering illness. Even more important, we want the people of Cyprus and around the world to know and be ready. Part of the 13th Sabbath offering this quarter will help construct a new church building and community centre in Nicosia for Matsakaros's congregation and two other congregations. Thank you for planning a generous offering. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, Christian Record Services for the Blind, the Sabbath School Department and Hope Channel. You can also listen on the official Sabbath School 4 app and the Apple iTunes app, Sabbath School with Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.